Well, good morning, team. Um, my name is Will. For those who don't know me, uh, the pastor asked me to step in this week um, as most of the elders were out of town at a conference. And uh, I'm just super excited to open up God's Word and exalt Jesus with you all this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6, which has been a precious text to me all summer um, as we've been preparing to be sent out by CRC as church planners to Ireland. And um, honestly, I'm mostly just preaching this for myself, for my own comfort. So thank you for inviting yourself into my personal worship time. Um, let's open up Isaiah 6, and we'll be reading verse 1 through 8. Um, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray and ask us, um, ask God to meet us here, and then we're going to go verse by verse through the text. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you are among us now. Um, we're gathered together in your name, and so we know you're here. And so we just ask for your grace. Um, give us grace, God, to, to preach your word with boldness, and give us grace to be a people who hears and who responds, and we just confess our need for you to do that. So thank you for hearing our prayers. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, well, I don't know if any of you have ever had an experience uh, where you've been uh, fearing or hoping in something, and then you get a bit of a reality check, and then you realize you should have been fearing and hoping in much bigger things. Um, I was reminded of a story the other week uh, when I was in Israel, and uh, me and some guys were going to go climb a mountain in northern Israel called Mount Moron close to Mount Myron, and so we were going to go claim it as my mountain, right? We made a flag and everything. It was awesome. And uh, initially, my fear, honestly, was just hiking in the heat because it is hot there, and my hope was in the delicious meals that our school chef would make. They were amazing. Um, but when we got to the base of the mountain, we realized that one of the guys grabbed the wrong food bag and all we had was a giant sack of maraschino cherries to eat. <laughs> Reality check. Um, my fears and hopes have now changed. My hope was now finding actual food somehow. Uh, our fears were starvation or worse, eating the cherries. And they changed again when halfway up we realized that this mountain is actually an Israeli army military post protecting their northern border. <clears throat> Reality check. Our fears should have been that. Um, and so as we, as we got to that thing, man, here's the point. Uh, reality never changed. I was always carrying a sack of cherries up a mountain controlled by the Israeli government. Um, we simply came to that realization, and then our hopes and our fears and our actions changed because of it. And I believe the prophet Isaiah was in a similar situation here. Um, as we look at, at verse 1, uh, we're going to see that this vision happens in the year that King Uzziah died. Um, and so just a little bit of background. Um, this comes at a time when the kingdoms in Israel are divided. And so you have the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, each with their separate kings that are ruling. And so much is influenced in these kingdoms by who is sitting on the throne. Uh, the constant narrative of this time is, and then such and such a king uh, became king in Israel or Judah, and they either did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, or they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and, and then God's uh, curses or blessings followed, depending. Um, now, King Uzziah here was one of those who did what was right in the sight of the Lord kind of kings in the kingdom of Judah in the south. And not just for four years or a max term of eight, but he was... 16 years old when he began to reign, and reigned for 52 years. In the north, in Israel, 18 of the 19 kings that reigned did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so God was going to destroy them um, by the hands of Assyria, by the king of Assyria. So uh, just picture this with me. You're a citizen of Judah, Isaiah even, and you're watching God's judgment coming down on the kingdom of Israel for their wickedness by the hands of this king. 
And you've been living in years of God's blessing in Judah because you've got one of these rare, righteous kings. And as this massive Assyrian threat advances, your king dies. Leaving you unsure of the future, looking for somewhere to place your security and hope, enter Isaiah's vision. Uh, God is about to recalibrate reality for his people. Through this vision that he gives to Isaiah... For a people putting their fear in one earthly king and their hope in another earthly king, he gives them a different reality, a higher reality, a higher king. And so this morning I want to present three realities that we can see about God in this vision and then what we can learn from Isaiah's responses to those realities. All right, let's dive in. Verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, says Isaiah. In the year that Uzziah, my earthly king, died, and all the security that came with him, I saw another king and he wasn't dead. The contrast is clear. This earthly king, um, who was insufficient, why? Because he died and could no longer protect Isaiah. But there's one who's alive on the throne, and his kingdom will have no end. I saw the Lord, says Isaiah, sitting upon a throne. Um, so, sitting upon a throne, not anxiously pacing around the throne room, not trying to gather wise counsel on how to stop this army, right? Like, Gabriel, you, you got any ideas, man? This is a pretty big army. Right? No, he's, he's sitting, um, which is just saying he's in utter and absolute control. He's sovereign. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. We keep reading, um, He is high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So high and lifted up, or high and exalted. um, This king wasn't playing on the same field as the others, is what it's saying. He is high, exalted above the rest, which shows his supremacy. Um, You can see that in the Tower of Babel, for example, right? The thought is, if we could just build a tower up to God, then we'll be equal with him. And then what does it say? God had to stoop down to see what they were doing uh, because he's just mocking them because it's laughable, right? As if you could build a tower to him. But that's the concept. That's what Isaiah is seeing here. This God is high and exalted. He's lifted up. He's on a completely different field. He's supreme. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Um, So one could tell the worth or significance of a king at this time by the length of his robe. And again, God is showing Isaiah there's no comparison here. His robe isn't five feet longer or ten feet longer than the next best king. No, his robe fills the entire temple. His worth and majesty don't have an end. It just goes and goes and goes, overflowing out of this temple. That's the king he sees. It's also showing there's no space in the temple that his majesty doesn't inhabit. It fills every space. All right, so one verse in, you can kind of start to see the reality that he's giving Isaiah here of a, of a different kind of king. And we can also see that this vision is happening in a heavenly temple. All right, so this is what the temple Solomon built is designed to image Um, The Jerusalem temple and the Holy of Holies within it is designed to image a heavenly reality. But Isaiah is not in the image. He's in the reality. This is reality that we're seeing. This is truth. Everything else is the image. And in reality, God is not alone. Verse 2. Above him stood the seraphim, Each had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. 
the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. So in Hebrew, uh, seraphim means fiery ones. So whatever Isaiah is seeing here, um, it's safe to assume these are some majestic looking creatures that shake the foundations of the temple when they sing. And God created these heavenly worshipers with six wings. Okay, but only two are actually used for flying because God knows the infinite holy worth of God that radiates from him is so intense that not even unfallen angels can look at it directly. Think about Moses on um, Mount Sinai here. So Moses asks if he could see God, if he could see his glory, right? And God says, um, you can't see my face, for no man shall see me and live. Uh, so here's what he, what he does for him. He takes Moses and he puts him in the cleft of a rock. So basically he can only see through this crack in the rock. He says, I'm going to put you there and then I'm going to pass by you. But when I do it, I'm going to put my hand over you so you can't see me until I'm passed by enough that I'm going to lift my hand so you just see the back of me. Right? And then Moses heads back down the mountain and everyone's terrified to look at him. Uh, just from his face radiating from seeing God. And so they make him cover it with a veil. All right, that's crazy. (laughs) That's insane. They can't stand looking at the glory tan that Moses got (laughs) while he looked through a a, a crack, while he peeked, right, at, at the passing by glory of the back of God. How much more so when you stand before him directly? So uh, that's the intensity that God's holiness radiates. And so how do the seraphim respond to beholding this glory? Oh, they worship. They sing over the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Um, That word holy, uh, we all kind of have a concept of what it means. Um, Just a little bit more, what exactly is it? The secondary meaning of holy Um, means moral purity or God's righteousness. And we can see it in this context, um, even looking back at what the people of Judah were placing their hope in. So Uzziah, their moral king, um, morally upright, right? Compared to the kings of Israel, um, he's not that moral. So 2 Kings says of Uzziah, And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Sounds good, but then it goes on. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. And these high places were Canaanite worship centers outside the city. So for a city that would claim um, Yahweh as their God, they would still have these little idol worship centers outside the city. And This is something that God, all the way back in Deuteronomy, commanded his people to be vigilant in tearing down. But king after king took that command lightly, including Uzziah. And eventually Uzziah spends his last days cursed with leprosy um, because he took God's holiness lightly, entering the holy place and performing a duty only priests were allowed to do. So trusting in the morality of this king to lead them into blessing was a false hope. All right? And God presents Isaiah with a better, holy, righteous king that leads them into blessing. All right. But when we look at the primary meaning of holiness, really it's this scene that we've looked at from the last four verses. Everything pointing to the fact that God is set apart in every way from every other king. That's the meaning of holiness. It's saying that God is set apart. He is completely different. He is completely other than. He is inherently incomparable to everything and everyone else. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Uh, Most of you probably know that when the Bible writers want to emphasize something, they use repetition, right? So in the same way that we would use um, exclamation points or underlining something or 
heaven forbid, all caps lock sentences, they would just repeat the same word. And uh, you see that. You see what the seraphim are singing here, right? It's not an angelic stutter. They're expressing something extraordinary about God here. That when we sing about God, it's not enough. It's not enough just to call him holy. It's not even enough just to call him holy, holy. No, that's not enough to express Yahweh's worth. No, this God is holy, holy, holy. This is the only characteristic of God that is expressed this way. Three times. We see it in another place in the Bible, in Revelation, when angels are singing before the throne again. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and is to come. And while the angels are singing that, there are 24 elders that are praising God for His creation. Worthy are You, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things. And by Your will, they existed and were created. And so, just think with me here. Right? The angels are singing about God's holiness And at the same time, there are these elders that are praising God for his creation. So just thinking about that for a second, God being set apart in his creation. Because you can put everything that's been created in a box, right? A box over here, every particle, every living thing, every person, every angel, every demon, every star, every planet, every atom in a box over here. Things that have been created. And then in a box over here, you've got Creator, and Yahweh alone is in it. And because God is set apart as Creator, and created all things out of nothing, He has rights over all things. We have laws that say the same thing, right? Even if you didn't create it, even if you just thought of the idea, intellectual property rights. It's my idea, my creation... Therefore, that gives me the right to do with it as I please. Listen, God has every kind of right over you because he created you out of nothing. None of us were like just one day, exist, right? And just spoke ourselves into creation. No, you were, you were helplessly created God spoke you into being out of nothing. No credit to yourself, right? And most of us don't even have a recollection that we're a living being until we're like four years old. No, now, now as you're living, it's so easy to do that in our own strength as we think, but the, the blood that pumps through your heart and the air that fills your lungs, that's all his. And he can take back what's his whenever he wants. He's the creator. Man, and it doesn't matter who you are in this world and what you do, whether you're a peasant or a king, you're all in the same spot. We're all there. Created thing out of nothing here, set apart, sovereign creator king here. So he's not just set apart, he's the set apart one. Okay, he's not just different. He's the different one. He's in a whole other category. He's the Holy One. And Isaiah gets so enraptured by God's holiness in this vision, he refers to God as the Holy One of Israel 25 times in this Bible. Um, A name that's almost exclusive to Isaiah. And do you know who the Holy One is? Isaiah or John tells us in the Gospel of John who Isaiah is seeing here, John twelve forty one. He says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him referring to Jesus. This Holy One, sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, robe filling the temple, angels above him singing, holy, holy, Holy is Jesus. Pre-incarnate, filled with majesty, Jesus. So, uh, reality number one. Jesus is the Holy One. Jesus is the Holy One. And here's Isaiah's response in our next 
our next verse. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So Isaiah sees God's holiness here, and he's just waving the white flag. Woe is me, for I am lost, or I am undone, or I am destroyed. While the seraphim sing his worth, Isaiah says, I'm not even worthy to speak here because I'm a man whose lips are unclean. He realizes that he's undone because he's at God's complete mercy here. Isaiah realizes that he's toast unless God does something for him. And so reality has put Isaiah's fear in the right place. Listen, do you think he is concerned in any way about the king of Assyria right now? No! Who gives a rip about that guy? He's nothing. He's just a finite human, just like me, standing before an infinitely holy, sovereign God. His fear puts everything in the right place. If you're a believer in this room, this has happened to you. There's been a moment or moments when you've seen God high and lifted up, and then you've seen your sin for what it is. You haven't just seen your sin, you've seen your sin for what it is that is wholly different from God. That you feel the weight that it's your sin that separates you from your perfect Father and your response is repentance. This is repentance that we're seeing from Isaiah. And listen, if this hasn't happened to you, then you haven't seen this God. If you haven't been undone by your sin before a holy God and it's resulted in repentance, then you've never met this God. Okay, read Isaiah's response again. He says, Woe is me. Right? But why? Why does he say that? He says, For or because I'm lost. Why is he lost? Because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why am I a man of unclean lips? Because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So it's just, Isaiah is saying, it's it's because I've seen him. I've seen Jesus. I've seen him for who he is, high and lifted up on the throne. And my response is repentance. It's fear. And so Isaiah's response to the reality of seeing this messianic holy one, he doesn't know it's Jesus yet, but oh man, by faith he's seen it's the Messiah. And his response is repentance. Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Man, the world has a guilt problem. Right? We've all been created for holiness, to be holy as um, our God is holy. And because we live unholy lives, there creates this thing in our heart, right? guilt, um, that is screaming out. <laughs> and we hate it. And Isaiah is just seeing this here, right? He's getting, he's getting a glimpse of the reality of God in his holiness up here. And then he's getting a reality of where he's at, a man of unclean lips down here. And that separation creates guilt. Now the world's answer to guilt, our culture's answer to guilt, is to somehow lower this thing in our own strength. Okay? So there's this separation in And our culture and the world say, if you can just deny God's holiness a bit, or deny Him altogether, make Him out like He doesn't care about sin all that much. And then if you could just make our sin not really be sin. It's just not that sinful. It's not that offensive to God. Or we try to add to it a bit, right? We try to add on our religious duties. And if we could just make that separation a bit less, that's going to appease our guilt. 
The problem is it doesn't work. (laughs) It never works. The result of removed guilt should be peace and rest, right? If you've got no guilt, you should be restful and peaceful with where you're at. And yet we know, man, now more than ever, depression and anxiety are are on the rise in America. Um, Depression uh, medication and anxiety medications are higher than they've ever been. And it ultimately... Ultimately, it's just telling us that it doesn't take the guilt away. And the other part of it is that it doesn't take it away in reality either. Meaning that all of us are going to stand before God and make an account of our lives one day. And it's going to be before a very real and holy God. The God that we see here. But God, again, gives us reality. Um... So this, this strange burning coal thing, right? Well, there's one time, one day out of the year in the Jerusalem temple when burning coal is taken and carried into the Holy of Holies where God chose to manifest his presence and glory over the Ark of the Covenant. That day, that one day, is the day of atonement. The day where God set aside for a high priest to perform a single sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people that year. But there was a problem. The blood from that sacrifice had to be brought into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God. And no man is holy enough to do that. Only the high priest was allowed to step foot in there, and only one time a year on this day, the Day of Atonement. The issue is that he still can't see God. (laughs) Because no man can see God and live. So this is what the high priest would have to do. He would take a burning coal from the altar, from the altar where the sacrifice was going to be made, and he would take that burning coal and he'd bring it into the Holy of Holies, and then he would take incense and he would sprinkle it on the coal, and that would create smoke. That would fill the room. Think back to verse 4 in our text. So this smoke would fill the room So he couldn't see God's face directly. And then underneath that protection, he could then approach God in his presence in boldness and apply the blood of the sacrifice that covers their guilt and sin. So where is Isaiah at right now? He's in the Holy of Holies. Not in a temple made by hands, but a heavenly one. He's in the heavenly holy of holies, standing in the presence of God, and he knows his fate. He knows he's not a high priest. He knows he can't make a sacrifice for himself. He knows he's staring directly at God on the throne. My eyes have seen the king, right? And he knows that death is the penalty. But then, apart from Isaiah God acts. God sends his servant to him. One of the seraphim flies to the altar to grab a piece of burning coal. The same altar and the same coal a high priest would have used to enter God's presence. And he takes this and he carries it to the place where Isaiah has felt the specific weight of his guilt and sin. His lips. He presses it right up against it. He personally applies it to the source of his guilt. And then he just announces over him, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Okay, so hear what God's saying here. He's saying, you're right, Isaiah. I am infinitely holy and you aren't. You stand guilty in the presence of the Holy One and that can't happen. Blood needs to be spilt, Isaiah, but not yours. You need atonement, Isaiah, and just like on the Day of Atonement, I'm going to provide both. You need a sacrifice and you need a high priest, and I'm going to give you both, but an even better one. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14 tells us who that is. It says, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ 
had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus the Christ is the better high priest and Jesus is the better sacrifice. Because he is holy, he's able to access the presence of the God always and forever, like a high priest couldn't. And because he is holy, his sacrifice covers all your sins forever. Because he is the holy one, he's able to be the atoning one. Don't separate, listen, don't separate the holy God of the Old Testament from the grace-filled Jesus of the New. It's the fact that the God who is holy, holy, holy is the one who died for your sins that makes it precious. Because the higher you lift up the worth of Jesus as the Holy One, the higher you lift up the worth of the blood that covers your sins. It's the Holy One's blood. That's what makes him so precious. To always go before the presence of God to pay for your sins once and for all time. You just need an announcement over you. Your sin is taken away. It's atoned for. So, reality number two, Jesus is the atoning one. So he is the Holy One on the throne here, and he is the atoning one. And Isaiah's response, it's subtle, because if you look at it, um, Isaiah does nothing. And that's the point. (laughs) Isaiah simply receives it. He didn't respond to it like the world, right? He didn't try to run from it. He didn't try to deny it. He didn't try to boast in his circumcision or his temple attendance record or try to list the deeds that he's accomplished. He recognized that he's dead to rights before a holy God and that his only way out is that God does something for him and he lets him. He receives the declaration over him, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So simply put, Isaiah's second response here is faith. It's trusting, believing, hoping this coming Messiah is the atoning one who takes away my guilt and my sin. Uh, you know, there were, there were two goats that were needed on the Day of Atonement. Um, one goat um, was to be sacrificed and blood spilled, like we just talked about, and then there was a second goat, a goat to be kept alive, um, and he would, like a scapegoat, take the sins and guilt of the people outside the camp. So we're going to read in Leviticus here, all right? Everyone calm down. It's going to be okay. Leviticus 16, 21 through 22. Just try to follow along with this. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the the hand of a man who is in readiness. Listen, the goat shall bear all the iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free into the wilderness. Confess over him all your iniquities, all your transgressions, all your sins, and then let the goat go free. Let him run away with your sins outside the camp. Listen, Jesus is the better scapegoat. Trust with all your heart that he can take our sins in this camp to the outermost edges of the wilderness. So, um, finally, our last verse here, uh, verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. And this is where it's, it's, um, it's easy to jump into response before reality a bit here. 
this quickly, um, a little too quickly, can become a recruitment verse for missionaries, right? Um, like God's just desperately looking for a hero to go for him. And then we jump up, right? Like, oh, go, Lord. And, man, we're just so quick to do things in our own strength. But Isaiah doesn't say here, here, go I, but here am I, right? It's a, it's a humble submission before the Lord. Here am I. Here is all of me, Lord. I'm yours. If you want me to go, I'll go. But if you want me to stay, I'll stay. If you want me to stay here in this city, I'll stay here. If you want me to go and minister, I'll minister. I don't care. I'm yours, God. Here am I. Because here's the reality. Here's the reality that is ultimately in this response. You'll realize if you keep reading here that Isaiah ultimately fails in his mission. Now, he was obedient and did what God asks. He was a faithful prophet, and so he succeeded in that sense, right? But look at verse 10. When God says, Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Okay, so that's the ministry that God's saying Isaiah's going to go into here. And then Isaiah says, How long, O Lord? And he responds, Until cities lie waste, without inhabitants, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. Stop there. Does that sound like missionary success? No. No, because Isaiah couldn't accomplish what God's people really needed. You will try to raise up a remnant, Isaiah, until no one, nothing is left but a stump. Okay, very end of verse 13 there. But the holy seed is its stump. When everything is burned up, there will be one holy seed left because Isaiah is just a forerunner here. There was a better one to come. Look back at verse 8. Back at verse 8. When the council of the triune God comes together and asks, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? They ultimately surveyed the land and saw that none were worthy. And so from within that triune council, one stood up and said, I will go. Send me. Here I am, Father. Send me. For the, for the joy and salvation of your people and for the glory of our name, I will go. I, the Holy One, will empty myself, not counting equality with God a thing to be grasped, And while I have every right to sit and rule here, I will go there and serve. And although I am worshipped and honored day and night as the king of kings here, I will go there and be mocked as the king of the Jews and have a crown of thorns put on my head. I, the righteous one, will suffer and die, becoming sin who knew no sin. And I will fill your chosen people with my Holy Spirit so that I can continue to go to the ends of the earth until all your elect are found, until your glory fills the earth. Here am I. Send me. And man, in case that seems like I'm reading Jesus into the text a bit, turn to Isaiah 52, verse 6. Because here, Isaiah is actually prophesying 200 years in the future from this vision, and God's name is still being profaned. It's still being profaned, so then God says, verse 6, Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here am I. So, quoting Isaiah here, God says, now you'll know that ultimately I'm the one who says, here am I. 
immediately followed by the next verse. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet who bring good news. Who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The missionary verses of missionary verses. What the forerunners couldn't do, I will do. I will bring the good news. And he did in Jesus. So, reality number three, Jesus is the sent one. He's the sent one. Isaiah's response, our response, isn't to go and save. It's a submission to follow wherever the Lord leads us. So we don't need to worry about being the hero because we're not. (laughs) He's the hero. Oh man, that frees you up. It's not on us. And this couldn't be any more comforting news for me. Man, earlier this spring, um, as we were really just kind of heading into this Ireland business, there was about a week straight where I woke up, two in the morning, same time, every morning, just from honestly (laughs) this demonic panic attack. And I would just, I'd wake up and lies would just fill my head. It just instantly lies about Ireland and their need for the gospel. Lies about my ability to speak it to them. (laughs) I remember feeling so desperate for reality, desperate for truth, just asking God, God, show me in your word who you are. Show me in your word who I am. And just desperate for reality. And eventually, God's spirit directed me to Isaiah 6. And oh, my soul rested in this reality of who my God is. This God, being holy, high, and lifted up, sovereign, king of kings over everything. And then that's the God who came and died for my sins. And that that's the God that now by his spirit goes before me to do the impossible things that I can't do, namely save souls. And that obliterates anxiety. (laughs) Blows it out of the water. If that God is for me, then who could be against me? And that God is worth following no matter what the result is. Even if it's like Isaiah And all you do is harden hearts. He is worth following. All right, so there's our realities. Jesus is the Holy One. Jesus is the Atoning One. Jesus is the Set One. And man, all I wanted to really do was just show Jesus in the text here. So it's just all about Jesus. It's just all about Jesus. So just real quickly, what does that all mean for CRC? I'm hoping that there's some application just in going through that there. Um, But I just have four quick extra points of application uh, before we pray. The first is just to remind you who your God is. It's to remind you who this Jesus is that you serve and how big and how holy he is so that we might fear him for our good. So in the words of Oswald Chambers, he said, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Oh man, when your God is small, you just fear everything. There's kings of Assyria everywhere, right? But when you fear the Holy One, It just knocks out fear everywhere. And so if you find yourself anxious and fearful this morning, like you've got a king of Assyria descending on you, God just wants to remind you how big he is, how holy he is, how sovereign he is, so that you might fear him, so that you might have peace. Number two, um, just as a church that we would take seriously God's holiness. We take seriously his holiness. Don't mistake God's patience and long-suffering and grace for his apathy towards sin. He's serious about sin. So I would just ask us, what are those high places in our lives, right? 
or those little worship centers for idols that we just haven't felt too ambitious to tear down. We know the command, but we can kind of think we can serve this God and let those exist. It's not going to be a big deal. And listen, let's just ask Jesus to tear them down today. Not in our own strength, asking Jesus to tear them down today. Um, And Isaiah knew um, that your sins are never private. Okay, he, was, he knew that he was a part of a people. We can see that in the text. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Right? We're a people here in this church. We're a people. And we all individually image Jesus, right? Um, but just like a mosaic, that individual picture of Jesus put together makes a bigger picture of Jesus. And we all take part in that. And so... Our lives reflect Jesus as a body together. We all play a part in how we image him here. It's not just a pastor thing. And so just that we would acknowledge that a bit. Number three, I believe God wants to remove some guilt this morning. And we don't do that by ignoring God's holiness or denying our sin. We own our situation, we confess it, and then just like the scapegoat, we let Jesus take it away. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've, you've never confessed your sins, trusted your sins to Jesus before. Man, listen, today's the day. <laughs> today's the day. Just don't wait. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good Come up after service, and pastors would love to talk with you, pray with you. It's just, it's as simple as Isaiah sees it here. This is the gospel according to Isaiah. You fear the Lord, you confess, and then you receive his salvation that he declares over you. Um, Or maybe you're a believer and you're burdened by guilt this morning, something that you've did or you've been doing, or maybe something that you haven't done or you feel like you should be doing. And you just, you just got guilt on you. Um, again, find someone that you can trust. Confess it to them. And then be reminded that you stand guiltless before our God. And uh, just, just today, um, for those who are trusting in Jesus today, let me just declare that over you. Hear this, because this is what God pronounces over you. Your guilt is taken away. And your sins are atoned for. Your guilt is taken away and your sins are atoned for forever. Forever, if you're in Christ. Number four, I believe God wants us to submit some new things this morning. And we just have a a tendency, if we're honest, to respond to things in our own strength. Um, Either to jump into the thing right away in our own strength and try to do it, or if you're like me, right, I'll get convicted by something and then I'll I'll, I'll see that I can't do it in my own strength, and then I'll just get discouraged and not do anything. And Isaiah just gives us a better way here. Here am I. So just coming before God and submitting before him, here's me. <laughs> here is all of me, God. I need you to do it. I can't do this stuff, God, but I, I want to, so here am I. I'm willing. Whatever your will is for me, I give it to you. Your will be done. And so I just want to close now when we pray and just take a little bit of time and and submit some things that maybe we haven't before. Um, And if you're like me, the chances are there's there's even something ringing in your head or your heart um, that you probably have a little hesitancy towards submitting, um, whatever that is. All right, so let's just be honest about that. Okay, if, if we're hesitant to submit something, it's because we're not really trusting that God is good. Our our thought when that happens is, if I submit that thing to God, if I really say, God, I'm willing to do this, (laughs) have my house, have my family, have my job, that he's going to harm you. And when you're doing that, you're believing, I don't have a good father. He's not for me. He's not for me. But here's the good news, just like we were singing this morning, uh, we have a good father. That's who he is. That's who he is, and we're loved by him. And so, uh, whatever you submit to him, he will work it out for your ultimate good because he loves you 
and is for you. And so let's come before our Lord and, and say, here we are together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just, God, we thank you. We thank you for your word and that, God, you tell us who you are. That we don't have to guess at who God is, but by your word we can see reality, we can see truth. That you're not whatever we make you out to be. That you are who you are, and there is no one like you. God, thank you for letting us see it. You're, that you are holy, you are sovereign, you are the king of kings above all things, and that you're also the God who came down and died for our sins and paid our debts and gave us access to your holy blood that can forgive our sins, it can cover our sins. And for everyone who trusts in Jesus today, God, that you announce over them that their guilt is taken away and their sin is atoned for. Praise you, God. That's, that's you. That's not us. And we see, God, that you're a God that sends. And he sent himself. You sent yourself, God, in Jesus Christ. You're ultimately the one who says, I will go. Here I am. Send me. And you still do that today. You're still going out today. And so, God, we just come before you now and we, on our knees, on our knees, we just see you for who you are. We see you for who you are, God. And in response, we say, here am I. Here we are, Lord. Christ Redeemer Church, we are yours. We are your clay. You are the potter, Lord. And so, God, we just give you, we give you our lives, we give you our future. It's missions week, and as we think about missions, God, we say, here am I. If it's your will for me to follow you to the ends of the earth, to this country or that, we say, here am I, I'm willing. And if you want us to stay, God, in the context we're in, we say, here am I, I'm yours. I'm yours. If you want me to stay in this job, I'll stay in this job. If you want me to quit this job, I'll quit this job. I'll go to this house. I'll go to this people. I'll start this ministry. I'll stay, I'll stay here. I'll go there. God, we're yours. And so I pray that you would just hear the prayers of your people this morning as we hold out our hands and whatever is on our hearts now. God, as maybe is something that is just hard to kind of give you control over. Help us submit that to you, Jesus. And maybe that's something that we know is, is sin. Maybe that's a, that's a little worship center for idols, a little high place. God, maybe that's something that doesn't seem really sinful, like our families or our jobs or um, whatever it be, God. I just ask that you would hear Hear our hearts as we say, here we are. And we choose not to try to do it in our own strength. We say, God, you got to do it in your own timing, in your own way. Here we are, Lord. God, we need you. We need you. And I just thank you. Thank you, God, that you're a God who hears our prayers and you're a God who answers our prayers. And so we pray this. In the holy, precious name of Jesus Christ, amen.